Well, welcome to the Table Talk podcast with Mike and Angela. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about lions and gardens and baseball. Oh, my. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, again, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is Mike again. I'm Angela. And on today's uh, podcast, we're continuing the Bible in 10 words, and we have now come to the word garden. Uh, and it's a familiar one if you live up here uh, near the church, because we have Garden on the Bluff, uh, which has several raised beds uh, that people from our church family and also from the community will garden every year. Uh, and just like the Garden of Eden, uh, Garden on the Bluff is a place of beauty. And I think it's a place of God's presence, too, because not only is it just a place of stillness and beauty, but you can still see the church and the sanctuary from where it's located. Uh, when we talk about the garden, uh, we sort of immediately go to the Garden of Eden, don't we? Uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with Scripture, you remember the story of Adam and Eve. Um, and, and I think it's important for us to start there because that's where this story begins for us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he keeps taking us back to uh, creation, which is always a good place to start. Uh, and our key verse for today is Genesis 2, 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had formed. And so we get this picture of this beautiful, perfect paradise that God has created. He pronounces it good six times. The seventh time he says it is very good. And so um, creation bears God's stamp of approval, <laughs> I guess we could say. Uh, and within this perfect place that he has created, he places his prized people. Uh, and so God's, through his love for us, uh, creates this perfect environment and God made a garden. And that's that's his idea of perfection there. But uh, in ancient times, a garden was special for two reasons, what it contained and who lived next door. So we start with what it contain, contained. Um, you know, a, a king's garden was often a, a microcosm or a, a small example of everything that was contained in his realm. So the larger the kingdom, the, long, the larger the empire, the more variety of animals would be brought in. I mean, you think um, about a zoo. And the, the more land, the more continents that you're occupying, the more different varieties are coming that way. And the same with plants, too, that things would be brought back, seeds would be brought back and, and replanted. Uh, next to the palace, the king owned a personal garden, and that's where all of these things were gathered. Uh, they displayed everything, but they were also a, a place of sort of look uh, of, of pride. Look at what we have accomplished. Look at all the land that we have taken over. Look at the vast power that we have. Um, you may not connect the two, uh, but 
but our author, Spoo, has has done so in terms of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And, and, you know, people might say, why in the world do you have a lion's den in the middle of a city? That seems dangerous. But if you think about the possibility that the lion's den is in the king's garden uh, and that the lions are part of a, a, a land that the, they have taken over and brought back these lions there, not only is it sort of a, a zoo exhibit, but it's also a means by which to dispatch of people you don't want around anymore. So, you know, Daniel in the lion's den may be a story of Daniel in a dangerous portion of a king's garden. So the creation of a garden means that it was more than just a natural landscape. You know, we we do find out later in the end of Genesis 3 that there is land, natural land outside of Eden, outside of the garden, because that's where Adam and Eve eventually have to go. Um, But the garden itself is more than just a natural landscape. It didn't just happen. Uh, It contains some sort of uh, collection of biodiversity and beauty that God sort of shows his handiwork, his power and his might and his creativity in. And Adam and Eve, as sort of these prized uh, creations, are placed there in the midst of the garden, and they become co-tenders of the garden with God. Um, so they, they're actually partners with God in the care and the sustaining of the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve's presence there is proof that God holds them in high esteem. And in fact, not only that they're placed there, but because he walks with them, that they're close to his heart. Yeah, right. So God is the neighbor, right? God is God is who lives next door. And we see that all throughout creation, that we were created to spend our lives close to God. And God wants a relationship with us. Scholar John Walton says that the garden uh, is God's place for residence, for relationship, and for rule, R-U-L-E, rule. Um, The garden is God's place for residence in that Eden is where God called home, The garden is God's place for relationship because of all the neighbors that God could have, could have chosen. He chose to create us and place us there. Mm. And then the garden is God's place for rule because God wanted Adam and Eve to know more than just regulations. God wanted them to know him. And so we have this, this perfect paradise in which Adam and Eve are placed And the question becomes, why would anyone risk throwing all of that away, right? Um, It's almost as if they didn't have a problem being there until God said, don't. (laughs) And we all know, you know, in our own relationships with God, intimacy with God and proximity to his presence comes with clear expectations. And Apparently, Adam and Eve had their own set of expectations because we read in the second chapter, uh, says the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And of course, free is the key word there. You are free 
to eat. Uh, but, you know, we have this skewed idea of what freedom is, and apparently Adam and Eve did too. You know, we're tempted to think of freedom as indulging our every impulse without any restrictions placed upon behavior, right? This this is real freedom to mm. us. Um, but here in Scripture, uh, we hear that, that Scripture challenges that concept of freedom. Um, scripture actually offers restrictions to guard the freedom. And so Darren Spoo says that freedom without restrictions is a faux freedom or a fake freedom. And when we embrace that kind of freedom, we eventually find ourselves held hostage by the habits that we once controlled, which is called addiction, right? Um, mm. We become enslaved by the very thing we once considered freedom, like alcoholism or drug addiction. Um, you know, in thinking about this, today in our culture, it just seems like our desires drive everything. And I wonder if we have become just addicted to ourselves. <laughs> we are addicted to what we want and what we want now. <laughs> And how dangerous is that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, see, this is a tough one because, you know, like you said, freedom in our minds is doing whatever it is we want to do. Um, and when when we believe that we have the freedom to fulfill uh, every desire that we might have, we're going to land in trouble. Uh, and God does place restrictions on behaviors and habits um, in Scripture, especially after all of these episodes with Adam and Eve and Noah and others. Um, but these are um, restrictions on behaviors and habits that are self-destructive and also ones that are harmful to others and to the community. It's not just about keeping us safe, but it's keeping all of us safe, keeping all of us connected to him and to one another. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Why? Because you will die. Bad things will happen. Uh, you're free to do anything else, just not this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, when you think about that, that temptation really arises when, when you're told, not this, not this. Um, you know, have you noticed that when something is restricted, it becomes more desirable? Uh, like a dessert when you're on a diet. There are many nights when you're not on a diet where you don't even think about dessert. But when you are actively not trying to eat one, it becomes hard. Mm -hmm. um, or remember um, when if you're uh, on a diet and somebody brings muffins to the office or that hot donut sign is on at Krispy Kreme, it, it, you just never notice it <laughs> on the days where you're not you know, on a diet. But when you are, there's this, this urge to drive right through there. And, you know, in a way we feel like that's not freedom. Like we're locked in, we, we're prevented from something. But, you know, really those restrictions are either self-applied or applied by God for our benefit. And so if we can keep it between the lanes, we're going to find joy and contentment and peace and friendship. But the second we choose, which we have the freedom to do, choose the wrong things, all of those things become even more challenging. Yeah. Uh, well, think about the game of baseball, okay? Whether you are playing t-ball or whether you are Freddie Freeman playing for the Braves, the one rule is that um, 
you know, for a hit to count, the ball has to fall within the foul lines, right? Um, but, you know, if you take this a step further, okay, if we're going to think about your freedom, this fake freedom, right? And we say, well, you know, that's not right. You know, why enforce arbitrary boundaries on a well-intentioned batter? <laughs> you know, each batter should decide for themselves which is fair and what is foul. And so then you have this, like, picture of, you know, outfielders in parking lots and under the bleachers, <laughs> right, trying to find the balls because the batter has deemed it a fair ball. Uh, and so... What we quickly realize is that it's those foul lines that keeps the game from just degenerating into chaos. It's those foul lines that helps us enjoy the game of baseball. Um, And he has this great quote. He says, the constraints are the containers of freedom. Mm. I love that quote. The constraints are the containers of freedom. So for Adam and Eve... Freedom was found within the boundaries of God's clear commands. But uh, as with Adam and Eve and us as well, another voice uh, competes for our attention. And that is Satan. You know, Satan whispers in our ear, this is not freedom. You know, how dare God tell me how to live my life, right? And so the question becomes, am I willing to accept right and wrong based not on what I feel or what I desire, but based on what God reveals to me. Because, I mean, let's face it, our desires often disagree with what God commands. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when you give in to your desires, you're putting your relationship with God or maybe even your relationship with others uh, on the line. Um, just like when Adam and Eve put the garden in their close relationship with God on the line, when they took a bite, we can do the same thing. You know, when we choose to do things that God has said, this is not right. This is not good. This is not what you should be doing. We're we're putting that relationship on the line. It may not harm us now. It may not fracture that relationship now, but, you know, over time it can. At the end of uh, Genesis 3, uh, we see that Adam and Eve are taken out of the garden because they do give in uh, to the whisper of uh, Satan and to the whisper of the serpent. And, you know, we, we, we see them being removed from the garden and sent east of Eden. And I've heard that used a lot of times in terms of, um, you know, authors and, and theologians in terms of our predicament now, our current state, uh, for the most part. Uh, The idea that, you know, we're not in the garden anymore. We're not in this close relationship with God where we can speak to him and we can audibly hear his voice. We are now east of Eden and God is still there, but there's there's this veil between us and the world is not the way it should be. Uh, The the world is not the way God intended it to be. It's fallen. Um, We know that this will not be the way it is forever. But for right now, it's definitely not Eden. It's east of Eden. Um, And this is not the last appearance of a garden in the Bible. There will be many more. And I'm excited about this part of the conversation after our break, uh, because it's just so amazing to see the connections between the Garden of Eden and the gardens we're going to talk about. Uh, But let's take a break and let's hear about a highlighted ministry here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church from Stanley and JT. 
The prayer shawl ministry at Bluff Park United Methodist Church is made up of a group of about 15 women who make prayer shawls, lap blankets, baby blankets, chemo caps, and scarves for people who need a little bit of encouragement and to know that there are people praying for them. The prayer shawl ministry group meets on Mondays at Bluff Park UMC at 10 o'clock. If you'd like to learn more about our prayer shawl ministry or maybe consider joining them, we invite you to call our church office here at Bluff Park UMC. All right, so gardens appear again and again in Scripture, but mostly they are described as places for growing food. Um, You know, vineyards or olive groves come to mind. Outside of Eden, uh, we don't just get to tend to the garden and eat of everything except for that one fruit. Outside of uh, of Eden, we have to till and plant and harvest. We have to toil uh, for everything. Um, You know, land becomes important, vital. Um, And so good soil becomes so precious because it's the good place for growing food to survive um, that that's really the image of a garden for the most part in scripture after this point. Um, You know, good soil is not going to be wasted on beautiful flowers or ornamental plants. Good land was so desirable. It was a sign of wealth um, and it was a, a way to feed many, many people. And so you just don't see a lot of ornamental or decorative gardens uh, in scripture that I'm aware of. Yeah, well, and we know too that Jesus had such a fondness for gardens when Mm. we read through uh, all of his gospel stories. uh, A lot of them had an agricultural background. Uh, But there in Matthew 7, you know, he tells a story that's set in the garden where he says, every good tree bears good fruit, every bad tree bears bad fruit. Mm -hmm. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Uh, And then in the Gospel of John, uh, he uses the role of a gardener as an example of how God cares for his people. He calls God the vine grower. And he talks about, you know, being connected and the pruning and, and all that has to take place, all uh, the way that the vine grower takes care of the vine. And then, of course, that scene there in the 20th chapter of John where uh, Jesus is mistaken for a gardener by Mary, who is not expecting to see him uh, and after that time, after the crucifixion. Mm. So, And then there's another garden, of course, that Jesus frequented, and that was the Garden of Gethsemane. And I love how he, how Spoo connects Gethsemane to Eden and, and how he explains that uh, in Eden, we, you know, see the worst of what humanity could be. But in Gethsemane, we see what the best of humanity can be. Yeah, and this is one of my favorite um, areas of the book so far and what he's done. He looks at the two gardens, Gethsemane, uh, which is, you know, the garden outside of the city walls, the garden uh, that is um, there by the temple. I mean, you can literally be over in the garden, uh, which uh, you go down the hill into the valley and you come up and you are right there at the temple gate. Um, But he connects Gethsemane as the undoing of what was done at the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. Uh, Here's the quote. I just love it. It says this, Adam and Eve said to God, not your will, but ours. Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but yours. 
The duo in Eden chose defiance. The one in Gethsemane chose surrender. Adam and Eve took fruit that did not belong to them. Jesus gave his life, something he had every right to keep. I love that comparison. Gethsemane um, and Golgotha, you know, the, 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 the garden uh, that were at both were the reversal of Eden. Um, and, and Golgotha is the place where Jesus was crucified and he was buried nearby. So when you think about Golgotha, this place of crucifixion, you don't usually think of a garden, but apparently the tomb where Mary saw Jesus, as, as you mentioned, Angela, was right around the corner. And, uh, and so at that point, this garden tomb um, is where Jesus was laid to rest. And what's just so beautiful about this is that, you know, we don't really know if this is the actual place or not, but archaeologists in Jerusalem have found a garden tomb, a tomb that is right by a, a, a rocky outgrowth uh, that sort of has a weird look to it, almost like a face on it. And, you know, Golgotha is the place of the skull. We don't know if this is the exact place, but they did find a first century tomb. And guess what was outside of that first century tomb? A vineyard, a garden. And they found a first century wine press where they would crush the grapes to produce wine in that same area. So, you know, I love that, that, you know, Jesus gave himself up as as the body uh, 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 of God and, and spills his blood as, uh, as God's love is, is given for us. And he may have been buried right by a vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know exactly of where that is. There's an, there's an alternative place where Golgotha and the tomb are said to be. And there's actually a church on there, the church of the Holy Sepulcher now. Um, but Either way, we know that there was a garden there, according to John. Whether it was an olive grove, which is also likely, or a vineyard, Jesus was buried near a garden. And what happens after his, his body is laid there? He's resurrected. In the Garden of Gethsemane, which is most likely um, a, uh, an olive garden, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, it's a, you know the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he surrenders to God. At Golgotha, he sacrificed his life for us. And in the garden tomb, he won victory over death. Yeah. I, oh, I love all that so much. I love all those connections. Well, even as you continue to walk through the New Testament, you you continue to run into the language of gardens and gardeners. Uh, theologian Victor Kulig, Kuligan uh, it says that the New Testament borrows liberally from the language of agriculture to speak about the life of a believer. We hear the words sow, plant, reap, harvest, prune, water, grow. You know, those words are consistently used uh, in that way. Uh, we think of Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and when you read through that, you know, we get this picture of how gardeners take pride in their in their produce. And what Galatians 5 reveals is that God feels the same way. You know, what does God want? God wants fruitful character, uh, not just the fruit of the Christian, but the fruit of the spirit. And so in Christ, you and I are God's garden and God, God as gardener uh, prunes. 
He removes the unfruitful part of our lives. God weeds. He removes from our surroundings anything that confines or crowds our growth. God does not plant us in isolation. Uh, We are not alone. We are part of the body of Christ. And within that, we find support and encouragement. And we learn how to, to live and love up close with one another. God as gardener protects Um, against anything that uh, would seek to harm us. And God even fertilizes. Uh, God works through life-giving relationships and life-changing circumstances. Uh, And that helps push our roots even deeper into the rich soil of the Spirit. Just over and over. (laughs) You know, gardens or or allusions to gardening come up again and again. And what's just so interesting is that the Bible begins and ends in a garden. Uh, There's a Garden of Eden that we've talked quite a bit about. But there's also somewhat of a garden in Revelation uh, where um, the Revelation of John, where the tree of life is planted. Uh, And it's this beautiful place where... um, you know, we get to be forever. And there's there's apparently no way that we can be, you know, pushed east out of heaven. Uh, it is permanent. Uh, it is a place of residence and presence of God. And this is what Spoo has to say at the end of the chapter. When we were cut off from Eden's fruit, we were left to crave something we could no longer have. But in the city of heaven, our famished soils will be satisfied with a buffet of God's loving provision This is not the way it used to be. This is even better than it was before. God will feed us and we will be filled and there will be plenty for everyone. So, you know, we we end at a garden um, that is just beautiful and it's lush and it is better than we can ever expect. Um, Just like Eden was made for Adam and Eve so that they could be in God's presence, there's this eternal garden close to that tree of life that is prepared for us. You know, and, and, and thinking about some of the folks who are listening to this, you may have friends or family members or acquaintance, acquaintances that are, you know, already at this garden. Um, and maybe that's comforting to think about the kind of place uh, that they are enjoying God's presence. Um, and one day, you know, our hope is that we will be there too. Uh, in the presence of this great gardener forever. Um, you know, God is a gardener. There, There is uh, wildlife and plant life, flora and fauna woven throughout scripture, and it's all part of the story. And just like God wants to remake people like you and me, and you are a listener, uh, God wants to remake the world. And that includes the gardens as well. Well, we've got uh, one last um, word from our sponsor before we uh, end up today. And so we're going to ask you to stick around and hear what Stanley and JT have to say. Today's podcast is brought to you by AIR. Have you ever dove into a swimming pool and noticed you can't breathe? That's because you need AIR. AIR. It's all around us. Well, thanks for sticking around today. God is a gardener. Yes. And we are his garden. (laughs) And just like God tended the garden, he tends to us. We are never done growing. 
Thanks be to God for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, he, he uses that line uh, in a prayer at the end, uh, God, make me your garden. And I think that's a, a great prayer to say in the morning, you know, as you're waking up and coming alive to the day, God, make me your garden. You know, all the possibilities. Wow. Wow. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back again next week.